come on a journey with a cinephile. Wake up, sucker. We're thieves and we're bad guys. That's exactly what we are. Welcome, listeners, to episode 159 of Journey with a Cinephile, a horror movie podcast. As always, I'm your tour guide here of David Garrett Jr., recording out of Columbus, Ohio. And on this episode here for you, I have my Italian horror number 15 episode, where I'm going to be pairing up, I mean, two movies that don't make the best double feature or even kind of make the most sense for Italian Horror Month, but I did watch Baron Blood. This is a movie from Mario Bava that fell in a Trek to the Twos year, so I'm covering that as a featured review. And I'm also going to do VHS 99. The only reason there is that I've watched every film in this series, so I wanted to check this one out to see what it was all about and everything. I heard some, you know, decent things about it as well. And then for mini reviews here for you, I have The Horrible Dr. Hitchcock. This is another Italian film. I also got to do a rewatch of X, as well as a movie that I thought was horror definitely not and that is animal room will be the three mini reviews that i have for you here gonna be a little bit shorter of an episode but you know life kind of getting in the way i also have the holidays coming up here as well so that i should be able to get a little bit more in hopefully to watch don't think there's anything else i need to get up to speed with here for this episode so i will say thank you so much for listening and i hope you enjoy coming on this journey with me And for my first mini-review is going to be The Horrible Dr. Hitchcock. This goes by the original title of El Horrible Segreto del Dr. Hitchcock. This is from 1962. This is directed by Ricardo Freddy. This is written by Ernesto Gastaldi. This stars Barbara Steele, Robert Fleming, and Silvano Tranquilli. This is a horror film that is from Italy. It is currently sitting on a 6.3 on IMDb and a 3.2 on Letterboxd with a synopsis being, in 19th century London, a woman weds a doctor with necrophiliac tendencies and whose first wife died under mysterious circumstances and might be coming back from the grave to torment her successor. So this movie that I first heard about, I believe on the episode for like 22 shots of moods and horror during their Italian horror month. It would have been a couple years back. It went on a list of movies to check out, and I decided for me celebrating the same thing in November that I knew the title. I didn't remember a whole lot about it, 
what they said on the episode, but I did wanted to check this out because it is from a year ending in two, and this is the earliest Italian film that I had not seen. So this is a simple story for the most part. It doesn't hide the deviant fetish that Bernard has, and this is the doctor here portrayed by Fleming. I only say this because he hurts people with what he's doing. Other than that, I wouldn't kink shame him if he's into like necrophilia, but I mean, especially since his first wife of Margarita, who is portrayed by Maria Teresa Vanello, seems to be on board for what they're doing. I did find this to be a progressive movie for this concept since it came out in the early 60s, which is intriguing to me. Now, that out of the way, I want to delve a bit more into the setting. This is interesting in that we're getting a gothic feel while being more modern. The late 19th century would be Victorian era, if memory serves, and they're at the tail end of the gothic setting as well. This almost feels like a bridge on top of that. Now, Bernard is a man of science. He is a professor at the university hospital and trains other doctors. You go as far as call him a mad scientist as well with his experiments because he's created a new anesthetic. This also feels like a bridge from the sci-fi horror that was popular in the United States in the 50s to what Hammer would be doing in the United Kingdom during the late 1950s. So, from my understanding, the Gothic tale was popular in Italy around this time, so that makes sense. It would even consider this, you know, flirting with being a modern Gothic with this dichotomy. Now, to go a bit deeper as to why I think this is Gothic, we have what feels like a ghost story here. Now, Cinzia, portrayed by Barbara Steele, believes that she is haunted by the ghost of Margaretha. This is one explanation. Another is that someone could be messing with her. I did like the angle that we follow Cinzia as she tries to figure it out, and we also have, like... Martha, who is the maid portrayed by Harriet Meaden, and I mean, Bernard doesn't even necessarily like her at times either, but I mean, it could just be that he's also trying to kill her, and I mean, it also is that being back in this house might be messing with his mind psychologically because he's still not ready to deal with what happened to his first wife. Now, there's also another doctor of Kurt who is portrayed by Tranquilly. He doesn't believe until there's evidence presented, which I did like that. Now, there's another aspect to the story that builds on the gothic meeting the modern as well with all of this now what makes this work though are the performances when i saw that steel starred i was excited she's an actor that i've known about but hadn't seen a lot of her work outside of what she did with like mario bava and david cronenberg she was good here she's also quite attractive i like fleming as her husband as there's just something that you can't trust about him from the beginning that just grows tranquilly vanello and median are also solid in support with the rest of the cast rounding this out for what was needed so the last thing I want to go into would be the filmmaking. I thought that this was shot well, so we were getting good cinematography. We don't get a lot in the way of effects, but it also doesn't need it. There is just more about atmosphere, which is the setting of the house, hospital, and the catacombs underneath the manor that help here. If we have an issue here, though, it's the pacing. This movie is just a slow burn. I normally enjoy this, but there isn't a lot that happens here. I did pick up late that, you know, end up pulling me back in as I kind of had some things revealed. Other than that, the soundtrack helped build the atmosphere as well. So in conclusion, this is a solid movie that I'm glad I can tick off my list. We have an interesting story here that brings in gothic elements with modern ones as well. The acting is good, especially from our leads. I like what they do to build atmosphere. The only issue that I have is that this is a bit slow. Not enough to ruin it, but it does bring my rating down slightly since this only runs just under an hour and a half. I'd still recommend it if you like you know, these gothic-esque films or Italian cinema before it kind of went off the rails with some of the stuff that would happen in later decades. So my rating here, though, for The Horrible Dr. Hitchcock is a 6.5 out of 10. 
And for my second mini review is going to be one that's very brief because I actually have covered it on the podcast before, but I'll get into that here shortly, and that is X. This is from here in 2022. This is written and directed by Ty West, stars Mia Goth, Jenna Ortega, and Brittany Snow. This is a horror mystery thriller film that is a co-production between the United States and Canada. It is currently sitting on a 6.6 on IMDb and a 3.6 on Letterboxd with the synopsis being, In 1979, a group of young filmmakers set out to make an adult film in rural Texas, but when their reclusive elderly host catch them in the act, the cast finds themselves fighting for their lives. So that's a little bit of misleading of a kind of synopsis there, but... It is what it is, but if you want to hear a little bit more about this movie, I did a mini review on episode 124, which was Centennial Club number 10. Still trying to do some of those rewatches for 2022 films ahead of you know my year-end list and everything like that, so this is one that I'm finally getting around to again. And I was actually glad that I saw this the first time and even more for the second one. We get an interesting period piece slasher. There are elements that add commentary which tick boxes for me. The acting is good across the board. Thought the effects were as well as they go brutal and I wasn't necessarily expecting that especially because this was a you know mainstream theater film. This looks beautiful and of the era. What they do with the soundtrack works. I'll be honest that this is up there as one of my favorite Ty West films. I thought this was good after my first viewing and that is just cemented after that rewatch here. One of my favorites of the year, as well as probably in the slasher genre in general, which is a subgenre that I realize I'm not the biggest fan of, but this one's up there for being one of my favorites now. So my rating, once again, for X is a 9 out of 10. That hasn't really changed or anything like that, but it is for sure a 9 for me now. Then my last mini review for this week is going to be one that I thought was going to be a horror movie, but it's more of just a drama thriller, and that is Animal Room. This is from 1995, written and directed by Craig Singer, stars Ryan Payne Bell, Deacon Thurman and Eddie Malavarka. This, as I said, a drama thriller that is a co-production between the United States and Canada. It is currently sitting on a 5.1 on IMDb and a 2.7 on Letterboxd with the synopsis being, Cynical and intelligent Arnold Mosk, a known drug user, is put into a disciplinary program at his high school meant for the seriously disturbed where he becomes the main target of a psychopathic Doug Van Housen and his gang. So this is another one that's part of that eight midnight movies collection that is supposed to be about hatchets and cleavers this one doesn't feature either i also don't know if i consider this a horror movie as i'm giving a limited review because this is as i've already been saying more drama with thriller aspects it does feature an interesting young cast though with the likes of matthew lillard laurie hearing neil patrick harris and amanda pete I could also include a brief appearance by Katherine Hooks. Now, she's not younger, but she's definitely somebody else that I recognized in this. Now, for this one, the title comes from an experiment in this high school that they're doing. There's a group of students that hang out with Doug Van Housen, as I said, and that is portrayed by Lillard. I think his crew includes Pink, portrayed by Ryan Payne Bell, Porky, portrayed by Mela Varka, and Eddie Lamasser, portrayed by Brian Vincent. They are bullies, and they don't want to learn. Now, Principal Jones is portrayed by Stephen Perlman, and his teachers agree to put them in a room in the basement to allow the rest of the students to, you know, get on with their normal studies and everything like that, as well as allow these kids to come to school and kind of just keep an eye on them. Now, there is a Professor Hinge portrayed by Thurman, who is vehemently against what they're doing here, and part of the reason that there's a special student lumped in, Arnold Mosk, portrayed by Harris. This is something that's just off about him, and he uses hallucinogenic drugs which is why he is there now arnold is brilliant 
he just struggles with applying himself. He is bullied by Doug and his crew. There is a student who is breaking norms, though. Gary Trancer, portrayed by Gabriel Olds, protects him as they were friends growing up. They've drifted a bit, but he's still there for him. Now, Gary even scolds his girlfriend of Debbie, portrayed by Amanda Peet, for mocking Arnold. With that established, I did want to say that this is an interesting things that they're exploring. This was made in the mid-90s. There are still issues like this happening. Maybe not to the extent of segregating them into their own classroom like we get here, but there are students that don't want to learn, and instead of trying to reach them, they are forgotten. It is a fine line, though. I will acknowledge that, in the same vein, Arnold is being lumped in due to his drug use. He also has issues with connecting, so there could be autism or something along these lines. I do like this idea of exploring the system failing, as it is something that we should be talking about, and something that we should try to be correcting even more today. The problem with this movie, though, is that I don't know if the message in the end works. There are elements here that I can see what they're trying to do, but it falls short. Doug is a rich kid. I like that he has more than some, but still acts the way that he does. He is even defiant at home. We see that he does some horrible things, him and Eddie especially, when they break into a person's house to steal a gun. This group forces Arnold to do something gross. This works in establishing how villainous they are. Where it ends up, though, isn't satisfying. The ending is bleak and not in the best way. It feels empty and incomplete. I don't need the antagonist to completely be punished, but or have you know be wrapped up in a bow. But they're just building towards something, and it feels pointless to where it ends. Other than that, I would say that the acting is fine. I think that the this borders on being too over the top at times. The filmmaking around it is the same for me. We get some interesting enough cinematography. There just aren't a lot in the way of effects, but it isn't that type of movie, so I can't hold that against it. What I will say is they do well in hiding things. The soundtrack is also fine. We do get a song from The Misfits, which I found interesting, as they also make a cameo while they're in a recording studio. Not a good movie by any stretch, but there were some promises here that fails to be fully fulfilled. So my rating for Animal Room is going to be a 4 out of 10. Now, what I'm going to go ahead and do then is get you over to the trailer of my first featured review. the last blow for me, Elizabeth Holly. Let me taste sweet revenge. Please, let me come into his heart. <laughs> Behind dank walls, a nightmare world of horror <laughs> and butchery awaits as a rotting corpse crawls from the earth to terrify the living. No! Beware of barren blood. I would not play with the occult if I were you. One's obsession with it could be the real danger. Barren blood. He earned his name through torture and death. The screams of his victims still echo in his chamber of horrors. The Baron's will not only dominated this castle, but all the valley below. The people were necessary only for his convenience. Was the Baron, and both your lives are in danger. You will try again. Turns to avenge a witch's curse. 
and reclaim his empire of evil. Unleash the monster on the world. You must try to send him back. No! Starring Joseph Cotton and Elke Summer. Ah! Beware of barren blood. And for my first featured review is going to be Barren Blood. This goes by the original title of Gli Orori del Castello di Nombe Berga. Might have mispronounced that, but here we are. This is from 1972. It was directed by Mario Bava. It is from the story by Bava as well as Ezer. Now, they both also wrote the screenplay. Now, the original story for the English version is written by Vincent Fatri, who also did the screenplay for the English version, and it's adapted by the screen for the English version by William A. Barron. This stars Joseph Cotton, Elkie Summers, Massimo Girati while also having Luciano Pigozzi, Antonio Catafora, Umberto Rajo, Nicoletta Elmi, Dieter Tressler, Rolf Hallwich, Gustavo DiNardo, Valerie Sabol, Iro Fatini, Rada Rasimov. Now, Bava is uncredited, having, as, that's Lamberto Bava, as an uncredited man at airport. Mario Bava also has an appearance. There is Pilar Castile, Alfredo Leone, and Kathleen Leone as uncredited stuff as well. This is a horror film that is from a co-production of Italy and West Germany. This is currently sitting on a 5.9 on IMDb and a 3.0 on Letterboxd with the synopsis being... A young man visiting the castle of a murderous ancestor in Austria accidentally bring his dead relative back to life, searching for new victims. So this is a movie that I originally heard about thanks to podcast. It popped up on what I believe was most likely the 22 Shots of Moods and Horror podcast during one of their Italian Horror Month episodes. They're the reason that I celebrate November for what I watch from Italy. They might be the ones who covered this movie. So I might be wrong on that, but it seems most likely. If not, it was probably the podcast Under the Stairs, or I mean, I guess it could also be good old Mr. Parka. Other than that, I just knew that this was a Mario Bava film that I hadn't seen, and it fell into my trek through the twos being released in 1972, of course. So before I move on to the movie itself, I'll start with our director, and that is the great Bava. He only did 37 features. I mean, only, that's that's a good number still. I've seen 10 of those, 16 are horror, and I've seen nine of those. Now, the most popular works that I've seen from him, but the ones that I haven't are The Girl Who Knew Too Much, Planet of the Vampires, A Hatchet for the Honeymoon, Lisa and the Devil, The House of Exorcism, Shock, and The Venus of Illy. Now, the one non-horror that I've seen is Rabid Dogs, which is very close. Now, as a writer, he has 17, and I've seen six. 12 are horror with the only new title that I haven't seen is Lust for the Vampire. Then moving over to Fodder, he has 8 credits and I've only seen this one. 3 of what he's done is in horror being Missile to the Moon, followed by Night of the Witches, with this one being the last in genre. There's also Easer. Now they have 10 films. I've only seen this one as well. Only one in genre on top of that. Now for the cast, I'll start with the great Joseph Cotton. He has 102 movies and I've seen 9. Out of genre, I've seen Citizen Kane, Touch of Evil, Shadow of a Doubt, Soylent Green, and Niagara. In horror, he did 12, and I've seen two. 
The ones that I have seen are this and the Abominable Dr. Fives. Now, his first in genre was Hush, Hush, Sweet Charlotte. A couple other notable ones are Lady Frankenstein and Island of Fishmen. Shifting to Summer, she has 89 features. This is the first that I've seen. Now, she has seven in genre. Now, this is the first, of course. Then she worked with Bava again with Lisa and the Devil and The House of Exorcism. Now, she also did The Astral Factor, Hollywood Ghost Story, Severed Ties, and Flashback, with that last one being from 2000. And then I'll also look at Girati. Now, he was in 100 Works, and I've seen two. I did see him in Sins of Rome, which I think Gladiator uses the same story. Now, he did two in horror with this one and The Suspicious Death of a Minor. And then the last one I'll cover is Catafora. He was in 40 Works. I've seen three. Six hour horror. And everything that I've seen is in genre for him. Now, the first that he did in genre was Shadow of Illusions from 70. And then he was in this. And then he was also in The House from 1976. He was in Scream for Help. And then the last two that I've seen actually are Demons 2 and the card player working with Lamberto Bava and Dario Argento in there as well. So from as the synopsis was saying, we follow Peter Kleist, who is portrayed by Catafora. He goes from the United States to Austria. He is met there by his uncle of Dr. Carl Hummel, who is portrayed by Girati. He was on Peter's mother's side, and it appears that Peter's father is also from the area. There's a local legend of this ancestor that is on this side as well. A Baron Otto von Kleist was a horrible and vicious man. He resided in a castle and was murdered for the things that he did. He also cursed by Elizabeth Hawley, who was branded a witch. Now, on their way to Carl's home, they stop at the castle. It is being renovated into a hotel. Now, it's there that they meet Ava Arnold, who is portrayed by Somer. Now, she's a former student of Carl's, and she is running things. We see an interesting run-in with her and Fritz, who is portrayed by Pigozzi, who was the caretaker. This ends up getting him fired. Now, Peter takes a liking to Ava, and she is invited over to dinner with the Hummels. It is during this dinner that we meet Martha, who is portrayed by Sebel, and their daughter Gretchen, portrayed by Elmi. Now, the topic of the Baron von Kleist gets brought up, and now the daughter claims that she has seen him while walking home from school. When she is excused from the table, Peter reveals that he found an old paper that has an incantation that will awaken the Baron. There's another one that will send him back to the afterlife. Now, Peter and Ava decide to go to the castle to the room where the Baron was killed to see if it works. She doesn't take it seriously, but Peter does. He tells her that it could cause the witch to curse them. They speak the words and a nearby bell tolls twice. The problem is that it's midnight. 2 a.m. was the time that the Baron was killed, though. There is banging at a door that frightens them both. Now, Peter wants to try again the next night when Ava isn't as thrilled. A similar thing happens, but we have blood that is coming underneath the door. There's also a wind that blows the paper into the fire. Peter is distracted, and they lose the spell to send the Baron back. We then see a bloody individual seek out a nearby doctor. It is a strange man the Baron incarnated, or is someone else entirely? Whoever this person is, they stalk Ava and kill others who get in their way. So that's going to be my recap and introduction to the characters. Where I'll start is that I like the premise we get here. This is in line with other movies that I've seen from Baba. He loved to make the gothic-style horror films that feel like they could be coming from Hammer. What is interesting is that this is set in modern times. There are even some modern ways of looking at things as well, which I like. We get an interesting bit of dichotomy here of traditional versus modern with how Carl speaks to Peter. There is even a bit of learned individuals needing to acknowledge the possibility of something supernatural happening as well. 
So where I'm going to go would be my opening thoughts. That Since they've been fleshed out, let me delve a bit more into them now. With me starting with Baron Von Kleist. Seems a bit like Vlad the Impaler. To scare his enemies, he would impale victims on the side of his castle. Out of fear, the Baron had Holly executed for being a witch. These are all things that happen in history, or, I mean, you could find it if you look deep enough into especially European stuff. There is the lore of him. What I like is that when this goes on, what is happening, this all seems to be true. There's also this interesting idea that no one knows what the Baron looked like. This feels like a bit of a convenient thing to allow a reveal later. I don't hate it, but what was, you know, popped into my head as we're kind of watching it, that that was kind of a bit of a built-in cheat we also have this great setting of the castle where most of the scenes take place i like these classic gothic ideas that are just something that works for me now to then go over to the modern sub sensibilities to kind of couple with some of the things here peter is in europe to have fun we see that ava has taken a liking to him and you know him vice versa there back to her there is part of this that doesn't think that the spell will work that either of them do now why would they he has a master's degree and i mean she is you know working and restoring this castle to a way where it could become a hotel now carl doesn't seem to believe either what i like is that as the evidence is found they all come around the police inspector and others outside don't and that feels real there also feels a bit of like tampering with things that you don't understand and that i enjoy now the last thing to go into would be the story is the baron himself i've already said that i like the lore there a bit more on the curse is that it's supposed to have him suffer something like 10 times the amount of pain that he inflicted. Now, when he comes back, he seeks out a doctor for help since when he came back to life, he is bleeding constantly. There wasn't something there that I didn't necessarily pick up on. Now, when the reveal happened, I wasn't shocked as it makes sense. I thought it might be something else, so I'll give credit here. I like that he's a sadist, though, and loves to torture his victims. That makes for a couple of good kills. That will lead me to my negatives, though. Now, that's going to end up lying with the filmmaking, but to give some positive first, I think that this has some decent effects. They went practical there. The blood is bright, and what some people call like that 3M looks like paint, but I do have a soft spot for that, and I do think that the cinematography is good. I come to expect that when seeing Baba's name attached. He does some things with focus that I wasn't the biggest fan of, though. That's not to say it was bad. What I have a problem with was the pacing. This pulls me in with the setup. I like that we get a few kills from the Baron. Then it hits a wall and meandered a bit. It tries to bring tension back from stalking Ava, but I lost interest when we meet Alfred Becker, who is portrayed by Cotton. The third act does pull me back in, so I give credit there. Other than that, I'd say the soundtrack fit for what was needed. So the last thing I'm going to go into before I get to some trivia would be the acting. I was shocked to see Cotton's name in the opening credits. He was top billed due to his name. What is interesting, though, is he doesn't show up until about the second half of the movie. He is solid, and I like what he does from there. I also liked Summer. I thought that she was fine in her role. Now, she is also quite attractive. Garati was good along with Cantafora. I like seeing Pigozzi, Raho, and Elmi. They're all actors that I've seen before, and all the rest of the cast I thought was fine in support of them as well. So then just do a bit of trivia from the IMDb page. Sometime around 1997, there was emerged a massive internet hoax which claimed that a Siberian borehole had penetrated the Earth's crust into hell itself with proof being an audio recording of the screaming souls of the damned. This urban legend, variously known as the Siberian Sounds of Hell and the Well to Hell hoax, featured in many tabloids and was even cited by some Christian groups as hard proof of a real hell. 
The sound effects supposedly recorded within the borehole were actually a combination of story elements from a radio broadcast, Quiet Please, the thing on the forable board, and audio lifted from here. According to the DVD linear notes, this was the first film ever shot on a 747 airplane. Originally, the director Bava didn't want to shoot this outside of Italy, but after producer Alfredo Leone found the castle location in Vienna, Austria, Bava decided it was a perfect setting. At first, Price was approached to star, but declined. Then Ray Milan was considered, but was unable to travel to the shoot. Finally, veteran actor Cotton was suggested, and to director Baba's surprise, accepted. Shot in six weeks, finishing three days ahead of schedule and under budget. The Vienna Castle, where this was shot, was originally thought to be a museum, but the information is incorrect. In the book, Baba, All Colors of the Dark, Tim Lucas gives this information, but on a commentary of the Kino Lorber DVD release, he corrects himself, explaining that the film's producer had stated that he had filmed at the museum. Lucas had, since the book's publication, learned that he actually had shot in Berg Krusenstein. Now, for the American release, American International Pictures edited out seven minutes of dialogue and graphic imagery and replaced the original European score with a more atmospheric music composed by Les Baxter. And then Leone can be seen seated behind Catafora in the opening scene aboard the Pan Am. His daughter Kathleen Leone is sitting next to him as well. So then in conclusion, this is a solid movie. I like the gothic setup that we have and then, you know, placing it in a modern setting. There are good things with the filmmaking. I did have some issues with the pacing, the use of focus, and there and some of those out there that might have issues with the blood. None of these ruin it though. I'd say that the acting is solid as was the soundtrack. Not the best movie I've seen from Baba, but it's still a solid effort in my opinion and would recommend giving it a viewing. So my rating here for Baron Blood is going to be a 7 out of 10. Not going to do a spoiler section, so let me get you over to the trailer of my second featured review. Episode. Spend the night in a coffin. Lily! Lily! The faster you breathe, the faster you use up your air so you can't panic. For my second featured review is going to be VHS 1999, or I guess VHS 99 is technically how it is, but this is from here in 2022. This is directed between Flying Lotus, Maggie Levin, Tyler McIntyre, Johannes Roberts, Joseph Winter, and Vanessa Winter. This is also written by Zoe Cooper, Flying Lotus, Chris Lee Hill, Levin, McIntyre, Roberts, and Winter. I actually think it's both of Joseph and 
Vanessa did the writing, but I am going to actually double check really quick while I am looking at it. And yes, they both did the writing here. This stars Jesse LaToretta, Kanusha Tafrashi, and Dashil Derrickson. Some of the other actors, Tybee Diskin, Verona Blue, Anima Nivez, Kelly Missile, Melissa Macedo, Ali Ionides, Isabella Hahn, Brianna Raquel, Caitlin Soros, Brittany Gandy, Logan Riley, Maurice Webster, Stephen Ogue, and Jerry Boyd. This is a horror film that is from the United States. It is currently sitting on a 5.1 on IMDb and a 2.8 on Letterboxd with the synopsis being, witness a hellish version of 1999 as social isolation, analog technology, and disturbing home videos fuse into a nightmare of found footage savagery. So this is an anthology that I heard about through podcast groups that I'm on in Facebook. Now, I've seen all the previous installments of the series, so when I heard that there was another one that was coming out, I was, you know, in to check it out. I decided to watch this as I was struggling to figure out what 2022 film to watch, so I decided this one would be easy enough, and I came into this one blind without necessarily knowing who was behind the different shorts, and that's actually where I'm going to start will be the different people that are behind this, and I'll start with our directors, and the first will be Roberts. I've seen five of his 18, 17 of his are in horror, and all the ones that I've seen in genre... Now, the first one I've seen from him was 47 Meters Down. He also did Strangers, Pray at Night, 47 Meters Down, Uncaged, and Resident Evil, Welcome to Raccoon City. Those are all the ones that I've seen from him. Now, as a writer, he has 13 works, and I've seen four. They are the Resident Evil and the two 47 Meters Down films. Lotus has four as a director and three in horror. The first was something called Royal from 2016. He then did Kuso from the next year. I've only ever seen this. And then in writing, he did this in Kuso having only seen this one so far as well. Now moving over to McIntyre, he has five credits. I've seen this, Tragedy Girls, from him. He has two others in genre with Good Boy, which I believe was an Into the Dark from Blumhouse, as well as Patchwork. Now Levin has six directing credits, and I've seen two. Her first two were shorts with something called Faye and then Vane. Now I've seen her two features of My Valentine and Now This, as those were, as I say, in shorts. In writing, she has seven works, and they are the same four in genre. Joseph Winter, as a director, has five credits. He has two shorts with There's Something in My Room and Pest. He has another feature that is out this year of Deadstream, which is on my list to check out. Now, for writing, he has four. In genre, he has the same three, minus Pest. Now, his wife, Vanessa, has three credits as a director. She has worked with him on Pest and Deadstream, as well as this. Then, for writing, she worked on Deadstream, and now this one here. Now we have two other writers who weren't included as directors here, and that is Cooper, who has two works. She has this, and then the upcoming VHS 85, which looks to be out next year. Now the other one is Hill. He has four credits, and it looks to be they have all with McIntyre. Three are in horror. He did Tragedy Girls, this, as well as Patchwork. Then to our actors, I'll look at La Toretta first. They've been in four. I've seen one other one. There's Someone Inside Your House was that. And then they have one other in genre with The Devil Below that I have not seen. Then I will look at Tafreshi. He has two works. Now his other one is also out this year, which is Weird, the Weird Al Yankovic story. And actually Jamie and I are in the middle of watching that one. She kind of got too tired last night, so we cut it short. And we'll be finishing it tonight. There is also Derrickson. They have two works. Both are in genre with this one and Shadow Prowler from last year. And I think that other one is a short. Then lastly, I'll go over 
Og, who is Steven Og, as I'm a fan of him. He has 14 credits. I've seen two. Three are in horror. The first was something called Moondog Airwaves. He was also in He Never Died, which I've seen before this, and so I've seen all of his features in genre. So then to get over to the movie itself, this is a bit different from some of the previous installments, as we aren't getting a wraparound that connects everything. We do get an interesting home video of a child playing with toys and narrating for them and giving voices to the different characters. This could be like army men setting up to attack something to other toys taking on monsters. I found that change interesting as it isn't something that I hate either. So our first story is shredding. For this one, we get a group of teens that have formed a band. They also film themselves doing different things. This group goes by RAC, which is an acronym of their names. There is Rachel, who is La Toretta, Anker, who is Tafreshi, there is Chris Carbonara of Derrickson, and then Caleb, who is Jackson Kelly. This group decides on the anniversary of a tragedy at the Colony Underground that they want to go there and play music while they film. A band that went by Bitch Cat died down there. What they do seems to stir up the unrested spirits with some nightmarish results. Then we get Suicide Bid. We have Lily, who's portrayed by Ionides, who decides to do only bid one sorority, which they deem as a suicide bid. If she doesn't get in, she won't be joining one. Her roommate points out this isn't smart, but Lily is determined. The sorority sisters take advantage of her. They are Annie, who's portrayed by Han, Helen, portrayed by Raquel, Imogi, played by Suros, Lucy, played by Gandhi, and Hannah, portrayed by Riley. Now, there's a urban legend of Guiltine, who had a suicide bid. She was buried alive and wasn't released in time. These sisters do this to Lily. It starts to rain, and a security guard shows up, forcing them to flee. Lily makes a terrifying discovery and is faced with a choice. The next story is Ozzy's Dungeon. What is interesting is this is a children's game show, kind of like Legends of the Hidden Temple. No one has ever won. It is hosted by a character played by Og. One of the contestants gets horrifically injured, who is Donna, portrayed by Amelia Ann. Now, when the show doesn't make it right, her mother, Deborah, Sonia Eddy, takes matters into her own hands, and they also learn the truth behind the show and who Ozzy, who is portrayed by Stephanie Ray, truly is. Then there's the Gawkers. This is a group of teen boys who are Dylan, portrayed by Luke Mullen, Brady, portrayed by Ethan Pogue, Mark, portrayed by Cree Kawa, and Kurt, portrayed by Tyler Lofton. They are an annoying, typical group for that age. This group has a crush on Sandra, Emily Sweet. Now she's the next door neighbor, and they're determined to see her naked. They enlist the aid of Bonner, portrayed by Duncan Anderson, who is the younger brother of one of these teens. He is asked to set up a webcam for her. They get to see what they want, and then some, when they learn the truth of their neighbor, as he sets up some spyware stuff where it allows them to see into her webcam. Now, the last story is then to Helen back. Nate, portrayed by Aurelius Cristiano, and Troy, portrayed by Joseph Winter, are watching a ritual by a coven of witches. They are filming it for them. Now, they get more than they bargain for when they're sent to a hellish world. They fight and do what they can to get back before it is too late. So that should be enough of a recap for each of these stories as well as introducing the characters. Now where I want to start is giving a brief overview of the previous movies in this franchise. I thought the first two were good. I think I lean more toward the second as still being my favorite. Viral was a step back, but VHS 94 was setting this in the right direction for me. I think that this is a step back from that last one, so it's in the bottom section of the franchise, but it's still better than Viral. Now, with that out of the way, I like each of these shorts. The common thread that we're referencing is in or around 1999. We would have seen the rise of, like, Jackass, so the first story to have the kids filming themselves doing dumb things makes sense. Suicide Bid has Lily doing a recording for her bid into the sorority. 
Ozzy's Dungeon has an outdated type show that was struggling. The most, though, we get would be a couple of Y2K references. I believe that there's one in Shredding and then the Gawkers. I'd even say the correlation to the Heaven's Gate cult into Hell and Back that I also liked. Making it feel like it's in the time it is set is good for me, and I appreciate that. Now, from here, I want to go over to how this works as an anthology. I'm taking that the kid in the wraparound is recording all these things over this VHS tape where these like different stories are happening. I know the struggle there. Much like other movies in the series, each of the shorts are done and work on their own framework. This doesn't have much connective tissue. Despite that, I think they all work well together. They have their own stories to tell, but the tone is good between them. They can go gory, which I'll go into soon with the effects. Each pulled my attention, had me interested to see how it played out, and I would say that the overall tone of all of them is very similar enough. Uh, since I brought it up, let me go over to the filmmaking. I think that the effects that we get here are good for the most part. There is CGI, especially in the Gawkers. I'm fine with it, though. What works here is the cinematography to hide a lot of this stuff. The shorts all look like they were shot on VHS. That helps is what you're, you know, trying not to go overboard with it, with the tracking or making it digitally mess up. That is a problem that I've had at times with found footage. I do think that way of filming works, especially with this. It did make me feel like I was there with the characters at times. The soundtrack also works and adds a bit. From what I could tell, the sound is diegetic, coming from the world of the movie, which adds realism. So the last thing to go over before I move to some trivia would be that the acting. We get a lot of characters, so I'm not going to go through each short. I would say that everyone seemed to fit their roles. No one stood out, but no one came out where i was like i don't believe that this person is them the only one that i wanted to really kind of bring up was og as he's an actor i first discovered thanks to grand theft auto 5 he was also in better call saul i liked seeing him as i'm just a fan of that guy in general so i wanted to give him special credit here so then there's a little bit of trivia and much like vhs2 the film was rushed into production after the success of vhs94 with production taking only five months with the two Helen back segment not only features the writer and directors of Deadstream, but the golem like creature from the woods can be briefly seen as the characters run through the hellscape. In the audience of Ozzy's Dungeon, a member of the audience is holding up a sign that shows the Hansa from the filmmaker's other film, Deadstream. The first segment features clips from CKY, mainly showing Ryan Dunn, aka Random Hero. This segment is believed to be Pennsylvania, as those videos weren't widely distributed, which is kind of interesting there. So then in conclusion, this is a solid installment into the VHS franchise. Even though most likely is my second lowest rated, it comes in ahead of viral. I think the shorts that we get here are solid. I don't mind the wraparound being a little bit different. It works better for me, though, when it plays back into the stories themselves. The acting, though, is good. I'd say the filmmaking is solid for the most part. I did like the cinematography. The practical effects are good, and I had no issues there with the CGI or soundtrack. I'd recommend giving this one a viewing for sure. So my rating here for VHS 99 is going to be a 7 out of 10. Not going to do a spoiler section, so let me get you over to one last break before I close out the show. Journey with a Cinephile. I would like to welcome you back, and then just to close everything out here, if you'd like to send me an email with any sort of feedback or anything that you'd like to have read on the show... You can send me that email at journeywithacinephile at gmail.com. If there's anything that you send me you don't want right on the show, just let me know in that email. If you'd like to read any of the reviews from anything on this episode or any of the past episodes, that's horrorreview.webnode.com. If you'd like to become friends with me on Facebook, I'm David Mishkin Garrett Jr. On Twitter, I'm Buckeye from Mish. Letterboxd, I'm David OSU. And over there, I'll be posting all of the reviews of anything that I'm watching that is horror or non-horror alike. 
If you'd like to follow my Instagram page, that's DavidOSU87. If you'd like to follow the Journey with a Cinephile Instagram, that's Journey with a Cinephile, all one word. What I will be posting over there is on both of them, the movie posters of anything that I am reviewing. And if you follow my personal one, every now and then you might see some personal pictures if I ever post any because I tend to forget while I'm out and about. And just to make it easier on you, I'll have all of those links in the show notes. And then the last thing I'd ask you to do is that whatever podcatching device you're listening to me on, if you could go ahead and hit subscribe so you never miss a new episode, that would be greatly appreciated. Also, if you're able to rate and review just so I can figure out what I'm doing that you like and what I'm doing that you don't like, as well as to get out to more listeners out there as well. And for my next episode, it's going to be my last Italian Horror Month that I'm going to be doing for this year. And for this one, I'm going to be going for the highest rated, I believe, or the most popular, according to Letterboxd, that I have not seen yet. And this actually will be the earliest movie that I'm going to be covering. I think it's 1911, and it is Dante's Inferno. I was able to find it, I believe, on YouTube or on Canopy, something like that. I was able to just make sure that I could check it out. And then for my 2022 film, I'm going to try to go to the theater to see the menu, as I'm a big Anya Taylor-Joy fan as well well as a Ralph Fiennes, Ralph Phineas, not really sure how to say his last name, so if anybody wants to correct me on that, I would greatly appreciate it, but that's the movie I want to go see. If I won't be able to, I will definitely check out something on Shudder, as there's some movies I have on a list of that I want to check out for the year anyway, so regardless, there will be a you know new release on there, as well as an old one, not necessarily going to be an Italian one. I do also want to see Bones and All. I do believe that's coming out soon, so if I can also sneak that one in, that'll be another one, because I do believe that's an Italian co-production. Anyways, I'm kind of rambling here, but I will also have some mini reviews for you. Don't think there's anything else that I would need to kind of tell you here. So I would all say that in closing is that thank you so much for listening. Whatever you do today, I hope you're safe and doing and have a great time out there. This is your tour guide of David Garrett Jr. and I am signing off. It had been a wonderful evening and what I needed now to give it the perfect ending. <laughs>